What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Training Table Podcast. As you know, I've got a guest on today, and I'm going to bring him on very shortly. And what I want to do is I want to give him a brief, brief introduction. Somebody I've been wanting to get on the pod for a while. We've been going back and forth, trying to get dates right, trying to get times right, making sure that we can fit it in. I thought that right now is the right time. You know, the draft is coming up. Uh, We're talking about the Raiders. I, I just had a draft show. Uh, I think that there are some things that we want to look at, some things that we want to touch on as Raider fans, what the draft is going to look like, what the Raiders are looking at 17, and, you know, kind of the the idea of where the Raiders are going, what the direction they're going to go in. They have obvious needs. They have glaring needs. And, you know, hopefully our friend can help us figure out what they might be thinking. So without further ado, let's uh, let's bring him in. Ooh, this is knowledge. Knowledge is power. No, it's not. Knowledge is not power. That's power. The brain is a muscle, and that's a muscle, and that's a muscle. They are all muscles. This is all muscle. So I am covered in brains, and I have more brains than you. All right, back with us, we have draft analyst for NBC, Roto World's lead college football writer, Rolling Stone Award winner, and also the guy who gave the Raiders a 2019 draft, the infamous F grade, Thor Nystrom. What's up, buddy? How you been, Kenny? It's good to see you again. Man, it's good. I'm glad to get you on, man. I know we've been going back and forth, and it's good to finally get you on. Perfect timing, right? We've got the draft coming up, and who better to talk with than the draft expert? Absolutely. I hope the Raiders fans will accept me for this podcast after my 2019 <laughs> grade. <laughs> you know, I think that you did a pretty good job of redeeming yourself when you came on and, you know, you kind of broke down how it happened. Obviously, it's an algorithm. And, and you know, I, I, the funny thing is I had Coach Buckner on and, you know, he even talked about Cleveland Farrell and was like, hey, look, you know, I love Clee. I think that Clee is a great player. But Clee is a product of where he was picked. And I you know, being picked at four, you're expecting the next Khalil Mack. And what you don't get is 10 sacks. And obviously, fans are going to go crazy. Fans are going to be pissed about it when you have other players that are picked before him. So I get it. For sure. For sure. So, and, and for me, someone's got to, you know, you got to give out a couple Fs, you know. So, but, you know, Has I to mean, be the like, Raiders, right? Well, not necessarily. I, I definitely got some stuff wrong about that class with them. Uh, for instance, I mean, like this is way down. I mean, because usually it's, it you know, it's a focus on, you know, the three. It was three first rounders, right? Farrell, yeah. Adams. Who am I forgetting? No, it's Farrell, Jacobs, and Abram. Oh, right, right. The, Jacob um, is down the line in the UDFA ranks. I, I didn't think they did a good job that year. They found a lot. Um, they, yeah. they did a much better job. If I was to say one thing that I was wrong about with that 2019 class, they did much better in the UDFA ranks than than I thought. Yeah, and I love Mad- You know, I love Mad Max. Like that was. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like, it's not Max like I hated every deal. one of their. Yeah, he he was legit. He shouldn't have fallen as as deep as he did. Like we knew coming out of college, like he was he was disruptive. The the athletic testing was there. Like that was a really good pick. Yeah. No, I think that you know as we got into the later rounds, the pick started looking a lot better, especially on paper. Um, you know, you found that stud with Alec Ingold later. You know, as a UDFA guys, yep. nobody drafts fullbacks. Um, and fullbacks, you know, in the in the league are relatively obsolete. But, you know, me personally, I have a soft spot for fullbacks because of, you know, my obvious background. But 
you know, Ingold has been a beast for us. And I think that that was a huge pickup. Um, what do you think going into this, this draft? I mean, obviously the Raiders have some glaring needs. They've got, um, you know, they need a free safety. They need an offensive tackle. I think that we can finally stop talking about quarterback. I think the Derek Carr conversation has been put to bed, Yeah. but you know, what are, what are, you know, what are, what are we looking at for first round? So if you like, okay. So if, if it was you and you're like, okay, if we can get one thing, one position, like what would be your, if you had your druthers, where are you locked in on at the top? See, for me, I'm kind of sitting there. I, I'm looking at best player available. I think at 17, you're sitting there. And I think that if Micah Parsons is sitting there at 17, that's the way I oh, would that would go. be interesting. That's, yeah. I mean, that's talk about unique. a Raiders player in every right. sense of the word, uh, in every sense of the word, right. A highly volatile, you know, he's a stud athlete, stud on the field, highly volatile off, off the field. Some, 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 a couple of questions there as, as far as his behavior towards right. teammates, but, uh, as far as a perfect rated man. And if that kid keeps his head screwed on straight, uh, oh my God, uh, you're getting an absolute beast, right? Right. But then, you know, the question is, you know, do the, do the Raiders make the right choice? You know, I think that that's one of the things that we've always had the question on is, you know, the, the, the feel is that there's always been these projects that have been taken in the first round. There's always that guy that's, you know, quote unquote character guy there, quote unquote, good locker room guy. Um, you know, obviously there's a glaring need at right tackle. Trent yep. Brown is gone. And realistically, Trent Brown was never really part of the team. He was, he played 16 games in two years. Um, you know, the guy I was, I was looking at was Tevin Jenkins if they go at 17. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was curious to get your take because for like from the outside looking in, I would have said tackle and secondary, you know, as you know, if it was like the top two, but obviously, uh, you know, where they're sitting, one of those guys who is more talented than their slot could absolutely fall. And, and Parsons is a really good example, you know, as far as that goes. But if if I was like, you know, w- with them, like, you know, one of these two position groups, I want someone to fall to me, it, you know, it'd, it'd be in there, uh, not safety, be, even though they have the need there, because th- there's no one that's going to be worth it at that pick. But w- whether it's the tackle or the cornerback, you're sitting in a good spot, because each of those classes has three studs at the top and with corner, you could even amend it to four. Um, I got Newsom just slightly behind uh, Farley, but I, I think no one's going to bat an eye if, if Newsom goes around there. So you, you basically have seven guys and Jenkins, if you put him in there, it, it becomes eight because Jenkins is also my tackle for, but it's like, you know, you go uh, Sewell, Slater, uh, Derrissaw, and then, you know, Jenkins after that. And then with uh, the corner, you know, obviously like, you know, it's Sertan, Horn, um, Farley and, and Newsom. And so like me, you know, I, I'm not sure what they would do, but for, for me, it would be like. Um, my initial thought would be like, I want one of these six to eight players in, in that sort of grouping, but I will keep the flexibility open that if one of these mega studs that should not get to 17, right. I, I'm not going to lock myself in. If, if, if some F and beast comes down, like we, we might be ringing him up and just say, screw that. Well, on day two, which, which by the way, may I go like, I have disagreed strongly with his early with, with specifically his first round picks, which is why, you know, he got dinged in my grading, whatever. Um, but after that, he has done very, very well in the middle rounds. Um, and he's done really good in the UDFA ranks too, in, in his two years, he, he has like this thing of like in, in the first round, it, it's not that like, it's not necessarily, I mean, it, it is reaching like, uh, you know, the, the, a couple of those picks, like the perception of it, but like Mayock is um, if nothing else, he trusts his read, you know, he, he's like a guy that's going to go down on his own sword and he, with his evaluations, those are his, his evaluations, right? Like he, he, he follows them through no matter what. Um, and so like, 
that's where you get some of the interesting first round picks. But the interesting part of it is like the manifestation of it is, you know, typically, I mean, this is just the, the first two drafts, but like, you know, he would be getting dogged on like, you know, Friday afternoon, you know, the, the day after the, the round one and people, yeah. whatever. But then like, you know, after that, you know, if, if you looked at like, you know, the Kuiper big board, you know, best available as you're going or like anything like that, like it seemed like he was, you know, hitting the guys that, you know, industry consensus, whatever, um, you know, from there on out was just picking off uh, guys that were falling down the board. I, Max Crosby is a great example. He should have gone uh, 40 picks, 50 picks above where he did, maybe, especially at I'd say. Uh, but like, um, you know, trusting the redoing the work, um, it, it's going to be interesting in, in the first round this year if those guys that he falls in love with, that he is higher on than the industry. In the past couple of years, he's just been like, you know, F it. This is my dude taking him right here. Um, it's going to be interesting if, going forward in that, especially in that first round, if in instances like that, cause I don't have any problem with someone falling in love with a kid, but like, will he be more uh, sort of fluid, you know, within the, um, you know, in, in terms of trading the, the, yeah. the machinations of it, of like, you know, the, the slot, whatever. But as far as this one, I don't think they have to move at all. I mean, like both of those position, you know, again, it could fall outside of that, but if you're, if you're looking tackle corner, you have at least six guys that everyone agrees is a stud and, and, you know, and would absolutely be a good value there. And then you have the two other ones that would be fine as well. Right. Like if, if all those guys are off the board. So I think they're sitting in a good spot as far as what this year's draft off offers in the middle of the first round at the couple biggest positions of need that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And so with this draft, obviously, this is a weird year. I mean, going into a second COVID weird year. year draft, this is we didn't have a combine this year. Yep. Um, very little tape. You know, we're, we're kind of going off of what we saw, you know, in the past. A lot of guys are going off of what we saw this year. How do you think this draft is going to differ from drafts of the past? That's a very good question. Um, so w- what I think is, and, and to your, I mean, it's, it's a great point, um, which is it's, it's not just that you don't, you didn't have the combine, which is huge, right? Because the, the combine, it's the same measuring sticks, the same stopwatches, whatever for every guy. And, you know, in the past years, we, we'd always be like, these schools are lying about their pro day results, but that's all we have for that this year. That, yeah. that was the combine was the a lot of four, three guys this year. A lot of four, three guys, <laughs> a lot of four, three guys, especially like if you just trusted like the Exos times, you know, earlier with the, they came yeah. out with the Exos combine and like, yeah, it was like Oprah was throwing out the four threes. You get a four, three, you get a four, <laughs> you get a 40 vert, you know, it's like uh, stuff like that. So like you have that. And then you also have the the thing that you also mentioned, which is, it, you know, as, as far as like what prospects give to the, the most important thing that, that, that prospects offer to the NFL during this sort of job application process. That is the pre-draft process is their last year of tape, you know, their athletic profile would be, you know, one or two notches below that it, the, the tape starts the day. Right. And then you, you fill it in after that with, with the athletic stuff Did that confirm or deny the stuff I was seeing the outfields, you know, all, all the different stuff, right. You start to put it in after that this year, we have less uh, final season tape of the prospects than literally any year in the history of the NFL draft. Cause of course we do, right? Like, because right. you know, there was all the opt outs and, um, and then it wasn't just all the guys that opted out. You also had truncated seasons on almost every single team, right? Like even, you know, for instance, like Greg Newsome, uh, you know, you know, the guy I was mentioning, like, you know, jumped up from probably heading into the season, he probably would have been seventh round pick, you know, something like that. Um, six, seven, something like that. And he was seen by the industry as a, as a late third round pick, even going in, into his pro day. And, and a part of the reason for that, you know, even though now he's looked at as, you know, this guy going in the middle of the first round is like, 
the couple of seasons before he he didn't do the best and his jump up was during six games during this fall where luckily enough for him he didn't have to play anyone uh when, when, yeah. when he got ohio state he got injured right away in that game and Olave wasn't played anyway and then he missed the game where they played auburn where they where he could have gotten seth williams or, or schwartz during the regular season they he faced no one um he you know it was it was david bell basically who's a solid uh receiver at purdue but you know when when rondell moore was active he was he was sort of the secondary guy but uh point being is is like in case specific situations like that, you, you have a guy who struggled his first two seasons and then over six games dominated, but really wasn't facing anyone. And in his case, you saw the manifestation of it again, where like um, if you go to Benjamin Robinson's grinding the mock uh, website, you can sort of see like, it, it's sort of like stock tickers, you know? So it's like, you know, January, uh, you know, this is where he was being, you know, over, uh, you know, 1200 mocks. This is where, you know, sort of aggregate was. And then in February and, and with Newsom, you can see it's like, you you know, like, you know, after the season, he, he's gotten up to like the, the very late third round, like he's like a hundredth overall. And then after that protein, he jump, just jumps up because in his case, all he had to do was essentially answer the athletic stuff and evaluators were going to forgive him for some of the previous stuff, even with that context of 2020 sort of nebulous because he was shutting yeah. people down, but they weren't, you know what I mean? Like, and so, but, but like, that's just one example there's a million examples like that. Yeah. And so, you know, it, you just go back to that example, you know, the, the news one, it's like the extrapolation or the the projection, right. It's like each individual person's prerogative when, when they're looking at Newsom, the less quantified, you know, the, the less data you have on each one of these guys, the more projection is required. Right. Cause it's like, you're at like the eye doctor, they're, they're putting like the, where, where they make it blurry, whatever the, the less blurry gets the more information you got in the kid. Right. So you see them clear, which is how you can get homogenous projections from all, you know, the different people, you know, when they're evaluating the kids. But again, in instances like this, where there's less data, we're all seeing some of these kids with beer goggles. And at that point you start to guess a little bit. And so that was a really long winded way to, to answer your question of saying, I, I think the manifestation of this is again, non-homogenized boards around the league. People are going to see the things different. And so I think number one, that's going to make things more unpredictable on, on draft day. And I'm not talking about like, you know, necessarily in terms of trades, those might happen too. But what I'm talking about, is like surprises in the moment, as far as where mm -hmm. players are going in the slots, I think you're going to see more of that because it's like, again, it's like two people looking at the beer, beer gog and they have to see something, you know, far off, they're going to see it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, um, I, I would say that's the big thing. I, I think you're going to see different stuff like that. And what's going to be interesting is like the, the offshoot of that, you know, like we were talking about Parsons before, and there's a couple of different examples. That's a first round example, but you think of like this down the board, circumstantially things can go against a player, you know, as the draft is going, they, they can have them go down a little bit. They can fall into alleys, you know, and stuff like that where position, you know, the teams don't need that position, but also the thing with, you know, these teams see everyone different. I, I think you could definitely see some guys go well above where you think they might go, you know, otherwise, yeah. you know, guests can go in and then the opposite. Yeah. It's going to be really weird. I didn't, you know, you look at this draft, right? You look at kind of you know, some of the moves have been made, obviously the Niners traded back or traded up. Uh, to get to three, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about Mac Jones being that third pick. I think it's a smokescreen. Um, well, am, I, am I allowed to swear on this, Kitty? Oh, you can swear. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, fucking bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, <did> <laughs> I mean, but, I, but you look at yeah. it like the top three picks. You, you 
you're probably going to have a quarterback go off the board. Sam yeah, Darnold got sure. traded, um, you know, and so these this draft is going to be it's, it's a very quarterback heavy draft too. I don't see any absolute studs out there. I mean, obviously there's Trevor Lawrence and there's Justin Fields, and you know those are probably two biggest names in the draft. But there's no absolute studs. There's no guys where you're like, I need to have this guy. I have to have this guy. I want to have this guy. This is, you know, going to be the future um, outside of those two guys. What does that do for this draft? I mean, obviously there's, there's needs, there's a lot of new head coaches, a lot of new GMs. How does this all play into the drafting process? Yeah, it's, th- that's a really good um, sort of side point to what we were just talking about, because, um, you know, the, the quarterback movement in, in I mean, you, you got to just think back in the past, like the quarterback movement of the draft itself heavily informs where the other positions are going as well. Right. Cause like that's the most important one, obviously. And so, you know, different stuff flowers off of that or the manifestation of the board is different because you have the quarterbacks getting elevated up the board a bit and everything sort of slots around that this, this year, we, we just talked about how wonky it is circumstantially, you know, with the, yeah. you know, the, the pandemic, everything like that and how it affected this specific uh, draft class. The other thing that's going on. So you have that, what we just talked about, but the other thing that you have, it, it's a two prong thing where number one, the quarterback movement of the starters in the league this offseason at the rubers that they were not happy with our guy. We want to get an upgrade, all this sort of stuff was more than we've seen in the, you know, in the past couple of years, as far as the NFL goes, you know, you mentioned the Darnold trade, the, uh, the Jared Goff uh, Stafford blockbuster yeah. to sort of kick us off and like di- different sort of stuff like that. Then you had those, you know, obviously, you know, every, every year, you know, teams have the needs or whatever, but th- this goes in conjunction with a quarterback class where you have five guys that, Everyone agrees is a first round pick. I I might disagree on Mac Jones, but you know, in theory, you can go with me on that one. But like those five guys are going to go in in the top fifteen in some order. Uh, you mentioned we're guaranteed to have three off the board at the start. It's, right. it's going to go Lawrence Wilson. I think it's going to be Fields now, baby. But uh, San Francisco's doing a good job at the poker table right now, keeping us yeah. off of that. But you know, that's how it's going to start. And then you know, again, all the movement that with the quarterbacks going in. And then right now, it's it's sort of like the Atlanta Falcons are on the clock, right? And they have to decide. Like, it, it, I mean, th- this must be a fascinating organizational thing outside of even the prospects itself, because they basically get to do. You ever did you ever read the Choose Your Own Adventure books as a kid, where you got yeah, the, yeah. maybe the two options, and you you know go to page sixty eight or go to you know whatever. That's them with this pick, because like they can either be like we we're better that we like, we have more talent than, than people thought we did, you know, last season or, or on board right now, if we get Kyle Pitts, who maybe Megatron meets, you know, Tony Gonzalez, I mean, like Dude. may just be an absolutely, he, he might be the best of all time in his position. Really? You know I mean? Like did not, you know, absolutely could be, he has, he has gifts for that position that we haven't seen before. If, if you want to just be like YOLO F it, like I'm the new coach, like I'm coming in. I, I want like the, you know, one of the sleekest offensive weapons that I've ever seen, like on the, you know, outside, whatever um, you could do that. The other thing, of course you could do is like, you know, pick the project guy and Trey Lance would make a lot of sense for them. Cause they can sit him for you with Ryan. And then of course the other thing is like bailing out of that pick, but it, it's all that decision itself of like the, you know, you know, for instance, trading out or the, 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 you know, take, especially, especially the quarterback, you know, sort of kicking the can on immediate needs against the pits thing. It's such a drastically different short-term uh, decision that, that will obviously have long-term, manif- uh, you know, repercussion you know, offshoots either way. So, so that's a really interesting one. And, and again, they start the draft that after that, you know, it's, it's, it's going to get really, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, I mean, Kyle Pitts is the, I haven't seen a prospect like that come out. I mean, he's probably the most killer tight end out of Florida since, well, I mean, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know if you meant to shut that one up, but that that one really got me. That was a good it's one. Kind of lobbed it right up there. Oh man, that was a good. One. I didn't even see it coming. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to make a joke that I'm going to stay away from. Um, yeah, yeah, no. For, it's a family that, show. It's, it's a family show. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, that, that's for sure. And I mean, again, like almost basically ever, right? Like you know, yeah. I was a kid when Vernon Davis and Gonzalez came out. So I wasn't like doing this. Those are, you have to go back to, to there to even get a totem for, for Kyle Pitts. But even then, I, I don't think it, it, it works one-to-one like, cause he's got different stuff that Vernon David, like I, I watched Vernon Davis a little bit again. I was a kid back then, but like, I, I, I did see him. I, you know, I was obsessed with the draft back then too. Uh, and Gonzalez a little bit hazier. I, I don't know that I remember him in college, but like Pitts again, it's, you're seeing something totally different and Raiders fans, you have somewhat of a, of a feel for this because Waller is, I mean, like that's the only current guy that you can even try to do if you're right. going, you know, if you're going tight end w- with him. Um, but Pitts is, is even better. Right. Like, and, and Waller, like, you know, cause you know, Waller, when he was coming, I was like, you know, he had all the traits and he was like, you know, coming out of the, the option thing and stuff like that. And it was like, it was all wonky, but it's like, man, if, you know, if, if he gets his personal life on, you know, whatever. And like, maybe we get him into a, we figure out what position he's going to play. He, he could blow up. Whereas Pitts is already, he's already got that stuff. He's already right. proven it, et cetera, et cetera. To me, he's more like, you know, whether you want to say like rich man's version of, of Waller or whether you want to say, I mean, for me, it's more like, I, I think of him more as just like Megatron light. And, and then sure you add blocking stuff in space, you know, and the ability to move him around. Um, but like as far as a receiver and as far as like the, what you're getting downfield, it's basically the, the same thing, you know, like 94% across the board. Right. Right. It's like very similar dimensions, very similar wingspan. Uh, the athleticism is, is, is just south of that neighborhood, et cetera. So fascinating player, fascinating process. He's, he's going to be a fun one. NFL fans are going to love that kid. Very yeah, he'll be a first round fantasy pick for sure. I think for, that, oh, you, for know, sure. you could look at him going off the board, top 10 easily, but sure. oh, I mean, yeah. so, as, as soon as four, potentially. Yeah. 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 It'd be really interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, Matt Ryan obviously has a couple years under his, you know, he's got a couple years left. Um, you know, you see what the franchise wants to do. They want to roll with Matt and, you know, give him an opportunity to try to get back into the Super Bowl. You know, you sit in, I think with the Falcons, they're kind of sitting in a position where they have an opportunity. You know, you've got the Buccaneers in that division, but then you also have the Panthers and you have the Saints. And the Saints are going through a whole quarterback change. You've got the Panthers that are going through a whole quarterback change. And the Buccaneers are bringing back 22 starters from that Super Bowl team. And as I, I'm sorry, but as long as you have Tom Brady on the team, it's very hard to bet against them. But I think that looking at the, that division, the Falcons can be a big turnaround. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. And and I, like, can you imagine being a bat ride during this draft and you're sitting there like the fourth pick is on, you know, side of the board and Goodell's about to come out and you're like, you mother efforts. I did so <laughs> yeah. much for you. You better take Kyle Pitts. You better, you better, you better. Like, I mean, like just for Ryan, you either get like, you know, one of the most ridiculous athletes, the past catching athletes that we've ever seen or else they're going to take your backup next season. The kid that started 15 times in the FCS, you know, Trey yeah. Lance or whatever, like, um, again, fascinating decision for the organization itself. And that, you know, Matt ride certainly got a lot of vested interest in that. They could go one of these two different ways that um, they're a team that's done a really good job of, of, uh, again, you know, a, a team of keeping us off their scent. Um, so sort of like the 49ers, although I, it, it seems like it, 
it really does seem like the 49ers, uh, some of the guys high up, I don't know if Lynch or whoever, but like that they used some of the high end uh, media contacts they had to disseminate this, this Mac Jones thing that uh, in the moment it appeared like it was sort of BS, but then you almost had to start to believe it. The more of like the Adam Schefter came out and report, Oh, Mac Jones is going number three. And it's like, Really, Schefter? Like, I don't, I, it's just like I don't see him as a you know. And then like Peter King, and then you, like you started to yeah. see like you know Mel Kuyper's mock and Daniel Jeremiah's mock, and like one after the other. And eventually, it's like okay, but but then like in the past like seventy two hours, this is like Thursday night, you know, or you know something like that. The odds of it uh, for the third slot where Mac Jones had been, you know, initially he was, he wouldn't even really, you know, you know, whatever. But when the 49ers made that trade and then the aftermath with all the rumors, Mac Jones had like, he went up to minus minus one fifty, then he got over to minus 200. And then earlier last week, he'd gotten as high up as a little bit over minus 300. Like, like at some books, he was like minus three, you know, three fifteen, three twenty, And then the, the Justin Fields pro day happened, which I, was it on Wednesday, Kenny? I, I think it was, I believe it was his Wednesday. second one. He, yeah, yeah the, the one the one that they went to the so, one that Schefter tweeted about just randomly. Yeah, that like so yeah. so you know famously like the first pro day that Justin Fields had it it was a scheduled conflict with Alabama's and Shanahan and Lynch decided to go to Alabama's to watch back Jones right. so that started a lot of a lot of this stuff but then you know Jones did this this second uh, throwing session and anyway uh, you know they were there obviously there was no other precipitating event that would have caused the odds on Thursday to. Uh, shift as drastically as as they did outside of you know people knowing stuff or whatever but basically what happened was you know again like jones was like he got up as high as close to minus 325 you know i wasn't everybody was that's the last i would seen it and then on I, I think it was on thursday it switched all the way to now um justin fields was like minus 150 or minus 175 and back jones had fallen to like by you know plus 250 in like a matter of 24 hours, again, no injury, no, you know, uh, John Lynch didn't come out and say, we're going to take Justin Fields, whatever. It just, uh, but, but as far as market indicators go, looking at Vegas and the odds that they're putting out, it's, they know more than the media does because uh, they don't care if you lie to them, you know, like they're, right. you know, whatever. And so it looks like it's going to be uh, Justin Fields, that third pick. But I, I thought that was pretty fascinating because for Adam, you know, Adam Schefter to report something like that, it has to be someone very, very high up that he thinks that Schefter thinks he's taking to the bank. And so Adam Schefter was lied to by either uh, Lynch or Shadahead, maybe a third guy. Schefter would have made a report. I'll tell you what, it's, yeah. it's, Probably Parag Marate. He's been the source of the leaks ever since he got ever since he was with the organization. Oh, interesting. He's, yeah, he's uh that guy, he was behind all the all the Kaepernick leaks, everything like that. So I, I would put my money on Parag. The um at least in this case, um I think that the smoke, I think they were brilliant. Um Ted Wynn uh from the Athletic, he had a very interesting theory about this that um the more I thought about it, I was like, that actually might be true where, you know, you heard all the rumors coming out right after that they were, they were moving up from Mac drones. You know, that, that was, that was the thought or whatever. And, you know, again, surprising. And Ted Wynn's idea was that, um, you know, Robert Sala, who is now with the jets, who was with the, you know, the Niners last year, they're in the second slot. And Ted Wynn's theory was that at that time, um, they, they at least knew from Sala that like, it wasn't a done deal one way or the other. You know, like maybe they were, you know, we're, we're fielding Darnold offers. And if we get one that's acceptable ish, you know, that, that we like enough, we'll take it because then we can, mm -hmm. we can do the Wilson thing. But 
why don't we like some of these other guys too, et cetera. And, and so, you know, so, so maybe, 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 maybe we should keep Darnold and hell, maybe we should take Kyle Pitts to the second pick, you know, or some, something like that. Ted Wynn's theory was that, you know, San Francisco knew that, the, that at least the decision wasn't done or that, you know, that's, that was the indication that they got. And so they put out the back Joe smoke screens thinking that there was at least a shot that Zach Wilson could fall to three and only they knew it. Right. And so you're, you're, you're disincentivizing teams for potentially figuring that out and trading up to the second slot, right. to, you know, to, to hop you for someone. It, it actually makes sense because again, in, in hindsight, someone very high up that Adam Schefter trusted lied to his face and, <laughs> and embarrassed Adam Schefter and Adam Schefter is an American institution. So that's, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's very I've interesting. I've got my qualms about Shefty. He's a Broncos guy. So <laughs> You know, I've got I've got my feelings about Shefty, but no, I mean, hey, no, he he generally doesn't miss. You know, that's that's one thing with Schefter is that's he generally sure. doesn't miss. And you know, I think that if if they don't go Mac Jones, then you know he'll he'll sit there with egg on his face for about five minutes, and he'll bounce back and report something crazy, and you know he gets back to it. Uh, Thor, sure. I want to get into some fun things now. I, you know, yeah. I know that you're a KU guy, and yes, uh, you were there around the same time I was actually out in Kansas. Um, I went to Benedictine for a, a hot, hot minute. Um, I got there. I should have had you up to Lawrence. I wish I would have known, Kenny. We could have had so I much was, fun back there. I actually came to Lawrence. Oh, man. So I came. So my Can, can you imagine friend, you and me back in 2004? Yeah, it would be nuts. <laughs> so my best friend, my, my high school quarterback, actually played at KU. Oh. Brian Luke. I I, did, so, I, I actually do think I, I yeah. Yeah. So he was aware scared, of the day, was, at least, yeah. Yeah, he was he was slated to be a starter, and then and then uh, Mangini came in and switched the whole system to to the option, and and Barman started, and so oh, yeah, Adam Barman, Adam Barman, yeah, 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 yeah. and so Brian, yeah, Brian's pure pocket quarterback, six four, two thirty, you know, big guy, doesn't can't move to save his life. I still give him a hard time, but um, but yeah, so I came up, we came up there one weekend. It was the uh, Nebraska game, and I think they actually won that game. They beat Nebraska, I believe, that year. We were and good when I was an undergrad. Yeah, no, you, you guys were it's, solid. It's been a while, you guys went to you guys went to the to the uh, to the bowl game. Won the Orange Bowl in, in two thousand eight. Yeah. yeah, over. So Akeem Talib was on that team for people that don't know. Chris Harris, you know, th- there are some you know NFL guys like long term guys that, that were on that team. But uh, yeah, like like Kenny's mentioning, uh, Mangino sort of fetishized these like super duper small white quarterbacks, and so it was like, you know, was, the, the quarterback on that team was Todd Reese. He was like five ten. The quarterback before was like Bill Whittemore, who's like five nine. And then the the kid you're mentioning is is all sort of a, of the same ilk, but like. Mangino is a very good coach uh, and, and very good in recruiting. He could identify yeah. these guys under the radar. Like Akeem Talib, people don't know this. He's only a three-star recruit. And Chris Harris, it was either two or zero. I, I forget, but like, you know, very good job of like identifying these guys. But yeah, in the, in, in the Orange Bowl that year, KU makes the Orange Bowl hilariously over Missouri, who who would beat them in the regular season, which was just fabulous. Um, and then go to the, the, uh, the Orange Bowl and beat Virginia Tech. So it was very fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously to leave and Harris go on to, to win the Super Bowl together and form the Legion of Boom with, with Wade Phillips, who I had on my show last week. And uh, we talked about that, you know, the infamous, the infamous chain snatching game with Michael Crabtree. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so, so Kansas, okay. So you back to that. Um, so when I went out there, we, we had went to the, we went to this bar and I ended, I don't even remember the name of the bar. You couldn't, you could tell me that I couldn't remember to save my life. The only place that I remember the name out, there's two places I remember the name out in, K, AK in Lawrence. You got Yellow Sub 
which yeah. is freaking amazing. Yep. yep. And the Bada Bing, <laughs> <laughs> which, like I said, it's a family show, so I won't talk about the Bada Bing too much. Yeah. But if you're a Sopranos fan, you know what the Bada Bing is. Yeah, you do. Uh, but, you know, tell tell people kind of about the, the Lawrence experience, because then I think that everybody thinks that the Kansas is, you know, all you know, all wheat fields and, and, and country boys and Lawrence is completely different. Yeah. It is when you go the other way of Kansas, like, you, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's Kansas city, you know, Kansas city, Missouri and Kansas. And then like Lawrence is like 40 minutes away. Right. But if you keep, if you drive past Lawrence to keep going the other way, uh, that's yeah, where you just, get into, <laughs> you get into that sort of stuff. But as far as Lawrence, like it's, it's sort of a, a utopia in a state that, um, Otherwise is maybe a little bit behind, uh, but like, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of like with, um, you know, in some ways like with, uh, and I don't mean to alienate anyone listening for any of these states, I, I'm not meaning to shit on your state, but like, it, it's sort of like Austin with Texas, right? Like in some ways, you know, in, in terms of ideology and, um, you know, both that, and then also just an absolutely beautiful uh, city. Lawrence says like, you know, the rest of it, like Kenny's saying of Kansas, it's like, you know, the rolling fields and the wheat and, and all that shit. Uh, but in Lawrence, it's like, this campus that's up on a hill, the, the Campanile, it's, it's very, you know, the topography, especially for Kansas is like, it's effing beautiful. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit different in terms of that. Um, and then, you know, the, the traditions and everything there, you know, as, as far as the other stuff, but like the, the town itself is, is really cool too, you know, and it's sort of like segment and like campuses here. And then, um, you know, within a mile is, is mass street where like a lot of the, uh, the damage is done by undergrads, yeah. you know, it's like the, the, the line of bars. If you've seen Kansas winning the title, like afterwards where they do like the, the shots of the street in Lawrence, uh, where people are like climbing on the, the lights and like, you know, you know, with their shirt on the cop cars or whatever, like that's all on Bass Street. Uh, so it's like, it, 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 it's a really good place to go to school. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's a bigger school, but like not, I didn't feel like prohibitively. So, but then you also had like this, this really cool town around it. And then of course, the reason I went there, uh, was cause I want to go to a place that had D one sports. I mean, like I wanted to go to an FBS school. I was, was most certainly not being recruited as an athlete, but like my, my thought was I'm going into journalism. I, I want to do work during undergrad that could potentially leave camp campus other people could see it might help me at the start and so that's why that's why i picked to go to, to go to kansas and luckily enough for me my senior year we won both the orange bowl and the national title in basketball in, in yeah. 2008 very cool yeah super cool and i mean i'm i'm kind of the same way i wanted to go to a school that was that was nationally recognized that's why i left I mean, one of the reasons why i left uh benedictine and transferred over to temple i mean you can't can't beat philly i mean you tell me philly over over atchison any day right <laughs> And so must have been know, a bit I, of I a like culture it. shock, Kenny, going from you know, I'm, the other. Bro, I'm from Oakland. So, you know, Philly, Philly is I, I really I compare Philly to Oakland a lot. I think it's it's really similar. Um, you've got your bad parts. You've got your good parts. You've got your pretty parts. You have the campus, which is gorgeous. And then right outside of campus you're you're walking right into the middle of the hood. You know, <laughs> we lived we live right on Broad Street. Our frat house is right on the corner and right on the corner of campus. And, you know, it was a place where a lot of people don't want to walk late at night. Me personally, mm -hmm. I thrived. I loved it out there. Um, but I, I thought it was a great, great experience. You know, the whole college experience. I think that a lot of people, they, they miss out on that college experience because they, they stay close to home and they want to do local school and do that thing. But going away, going away somewhere is, is huge. It is. I no, I, I totally agree with that. And especially like you think now, like with the COVID stuff, like, Hey, you see like, you know, it's all like, um, uh, what do you call it? Distance learning, you know, yeah. with, with some of these schools and, and enforced. So, right. Like, you know, like when, when we were in undergrad, the idea of online classes was just starting, right? Like, yeah. like the first time I saw that it was possible, I was like, wait, you, you, you they'll give you a credit. Do you get a grade? You don't have to be in the classroom. I, I was like, all, all about this. 
Um, but like now it's, you know, that shirt just sort of, you know, in this era of, of COVID that, you know, it's become a thing. And like, I did think about that, you know, cause there was like the thing of like, there was a couple of different schools where like, um, and I don't know if it's hard. I mean, like even higher up, you know, academic type schools where the kids were like, why are we going to pay you full tuition price? Why, why are you extorting us yeah. for full tuition price when you won't allow us in the classrooms or you won't allow us on campus? You, we can't even do the, the things that college kids are in, co- you know, like the yeah. outsides, like the social stuff it was all it was all gone it's like no stay at home um that would totally change uh the college experience right like you know in terms of like you know that the 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 social aspect and then like you know again going to a a big school like um that's just what i wanted to do for for those reasons you know like the the future career reasons and the social thing and then of course the academics of you know whatever but like the, the going you know having a college experience for four years where you were like very rarely around other people and you're just sort of like sitting inside it's like that's an idea that appeals more to me now that i'm, I'm really lazy but like <laughs> at that age it wouldn't have flown i i, yeah. I would have been real bad i would have been real mad about it yeah do you imagine imagine was it uh, zoom happy hours and zoom power hours instead of going out to going out to the bars in college at that, at, at that age i would have been like no I'm not, I'm not yeah. doing this, but like now it's yeah. like, it's like, wait, I don't have to go to the bar and I can still get drunk. And it's I like, I can still see my I buddies. Can sit on Zoom. <laughs> exactly. The, the oh, mindset man. just totally changes in that decade afterwards. Yeah. Completely changes. Now, nowadays I'm like, I don't want to leave the house now, <laughs> but now I'm at the point where I, I want to leave the house. Like, I, like we were talking about, I just got vaccinated. I'm ready. I saw that the Raiders are expecting full fans in the stadiums. I'm excited about that. Um, you know, Blue Wire, we were opening up a studio over in the wind. Uh, that's going to be huge. Ooh, yeah. I didn't know so, about that, Kenny. Yeah. Blue. So Blue wow. Wire is opening, opening a studio in the wind. Um, supposed to open this oh, summer. Dude, that's sick. Yeah. It can be right there in the lobby. So we're going to be out there, you know, um, doing that. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Obviously I'll be in Vegas a lot, you know, with Kenny, the Raiders. Does that mean our things. next, the next thing we do together, it will be in person. You, you can get me out there, baby. You know, I mean, you know, you might have to talk to Cody. He's the, he's the money guy, you know, okay. he's, he's the guy that he's the guy that brings in all the big bucks. I'm just Cody you know, money Mayweather face. <laughs> 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 yeah. But no, I mean, no, that'd be great. I mean, love to do something out there. Um, but too. Thor, what you got going on? What, you know, where can people find you? What do you, what do you have going on? Uh, I know that you have a lot of draft talk going on. What, where can people find you? So you can find me at NBC sports edge. Um, recently changed i I didn't want to correct you at the start it it, we recently changed the day for brutal world like in the past like month or so or month and a half i because i always have to you know when people ask me to introduce myself i always have to remember like oh it's abc sports edge down you know but like uh even if you type in Roto World, it still brings you to the same url it doesn't matter nothing's changed uh but like you know so like uh, there uh scouting reports are, are at this point nearly over. I'm, I'm working on the last one, which is safeties. So I'll have safeties out early this week, you know, like, like a deep dive into the position, whatever. And then, um, day or two, I think it's Thursday. I, I would have to check the schedule, but, uh, my favorite column of the year to put out every year, which doesn't actually even have any words. It's just my 500 player big board, right? That's just like with 500 comps player comps. So I have like, you know, the RAS score in there and you know, the dimension, but like, and then, and then 500 comps, whatever. So th- that's, what's coming this week. Uh, I might have a mock draft. Uh, I think I have a mock draft too this week. Um, and then of course we're, we're heading into to draft season. Um, you can also see, you know, check me out on say hi on, on Twitter at uh, Thor T H O R K U, which yes, that is from Lawrence. <laughs> and uh, if you guys don't follow Thor, make sure you do. And he's Thor is, a, is an excellent user of, of gifts. I call him gifts. People call him gifs. Yeah. Uh, but Thor is an excellent. I call him gifts too. Gifs. Yeah, I think it's spelled gifts. I mean, it's 
go off the spelling. Exactly. Um, but he's an excellent user of gifts. So he's fun to engage with. He's fun to talk to. That's actually how we we started this whole this whole friendship. Is you know we started going back and forth. Um, you know, you gave us an F on our on our draft, and you know I had some things. That, the funny thing is, I you know I wanted to be on that pod that night, and Cody and Chris kept me off. I was a little sad about oh. that because I had a lot to say to you, Thor. But then I heard your pod and I, I I had to take back everything I wanted to say. But I was excited because like at the end of it, it was like the thing. And then it was like you had like five minutes where you were just like, you know, where you were like talking about it, like, a, you know, addressing me in some ways, you know, it was like, yeah, but I I had I didn't hear that in advance. So like that was for me, that was the most fascinating part was like getting to that part, like because, <laughs> you know, I wanted I wanted to talk to you, too. And then, you know, I was I like, know. oh, K- Kenny's about to bury me. <laughs> this is going to like, you know, I, I was like all scared, you know, like. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, you know, I mean, I'm happy to go on, you know, anything and like discuss my opinion, but like, you know, and, and you guys are like, you, you know, have told me like, you know, it's cool. I came on, but like, you know, the other way around is like, um, you know, the, the, you know, having someone like that on, you know, from like your and Cody's perspective and like hearing them out, um, and actually having a conversation as opposed to just like, you know, uh, trying to cater to your audience by like, you know, cutting my knees out, you know, or whatever, like was, I mean, it was cool. Right. Like, um, so like, you know, it was sort of like, you know, Spider-Man gif, like, you know, real recognized real or whatever. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. You guys are cool dudes. Like love talking to you guys. No doubt, man. Well, I look forward to talking to you again. And I know that, you know, hopefully we can talk after the draft and you give us a better grade this year. Um, I'll try. You know, I'm telling you, if we take Micah Parsons at 17, I, there better be an A on there right, there, <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, but I know Thor. the Mayak's going to do do well in the later rounds and, and in the oh, yeah. phase. So it, it, as long as he does Actually, good in the first round, by my methodology, he's probably going to have a really good pick. Or, or Actually, really before, good before I let you go, before yeah. I let you go, I have one more question. Speaking of yeah. later rounds, Mike Mayock picks. Tanner Muse thoughts yeah well so it's funny because I was, I was writing about this in my my safety column sort of uh, not about tanner muse but about uh the idea of chess pieces um because I, I was writing about um what was the safety yesterday oh it was the, the kid from um florida state right like and i'm talking about like you know it, we don't know if he's going to be a chess piece or if he's going to fall slightly below that and if he falls slightly below that he's he's going to wash out of the nfl quickly but if he becomes a chess piece, you know whatever but like what i was talking about is like the value of those players in in play um sort of being able to um leverage every situation on the field like um in, in the way like um the way that you used to use your bench in the NFL or, you know, in some other sports, it was just like that guy would be injury insurance or he would come in to rest the starter. Right. Whereas the thing that these chess piece players have done is in a play, you know, play and play out basis, you can, you can maximize matchups by, by moving them. So that's one offshoot. So, right. So like, you know, Isaiah Simmons, for instance, you think about is like, you know, he playing back at safety or, you know, playing linebacker. Now he's going to move into the slot because we don't have an, our slot corner is, is five foot 10, you know, and he runs a, a, a four five, five and, you know, he's shifty. He, he can do the small guys, but when it's like a big guy in the slot, now we can move him in there, you know, or, or one of these other different guys. And at Clemson, what was really interesting was you had that, but they also had Muse that did that where it was like, mm-hmm. he was like the safety that was linebacker size, but it, it didn't, the, the p- position didn't matter. Right. Like both of those guys, we, we talked about it with Simmons, but you know, in a, in a quieter sense, Muse was doing some of 
those different things too. He couldn't play as many positions uh, for sure. But like when you're talking about the, the moving around thing. And so you have that uh, where you can, again, maximize the matchups, but the other cool thing that you can do as far as bench usage off of when you have players like that is like um, instead of using it um, where you're not considering the circumstances where that bench player is entering, you can um, basically use, you can start to weaponize your bench. Like, you know, there will be college more is probably a better example, but like you'll have kids that aren't starters because they're good at one thing, but the other thing, they're just not there yet. Right. So like you think of like a, for instance, like an undersized linebacker, who's like a, a red shirt freshman and he mm-hmm. can stay with people in coverage, but he cannot hold up in, in the run. Well, anyway, those kind of guys, you can use them when, when, when the, the chess piece guys moving around, those guys can come in off the bench just specifically for the usage. Right. So like, we're not putting that guy, the small linebacker in against the run, but during the pass, you know, depending on where the, the, so anyway, basically what happens is like, you can use your, your bench in these, in these, you know, very specific ways where it, it becomes a, a platoon more like baseball, where it's like specific to uh, the situation. Right. So, so not, sometimes I think people miss this where it's, it's not just the match, you know, the, the, the chess piece guy, you know, that's like, you get the matchup. It allows you to weaponize various other things too. So your, mm-hmm. your defense becomes more like a, a transformer where like, or, or I suppose if it was like a Bruce Lee, it's like water, you know, it's like yeah. extremely fluid and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, it, 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 as far as me, it was like, he's not on, of course, the level of, of Simmons or, you know, different stuff like that. But like, when we talk about versatility, it's this is why it's, it's not a cliche like it, it is a mineable resource right like um because of of those things it's not just that they could theoretically start in a base at either one it's that during the game for smart coaching staffs they can weaponize them not only matchup wise but also start to again the the, the platoon sort of a thing with, with the bench where we get them in on you know whatever um and so it was fun to going back to, to be, it was fun watching him in college because move, they would move around Simmons or whatever, but then, you know, he'd go around with them and then they would do all these different replacer blitzes at, at Clemson Venables did where like you'd send guys from various spots. And then because you had these chess piece types that like, you know, for instance, Muse off ball, great uh, safety stuff, totally fine. Like he was actually a little bit better in, in coverage than people, especially in the off ball stuff deep mm-hmm. was a little bit different thing, but um, again, you could send someone from one spot and invariably at a different position, you would have someone that could also play his position. So he'd sprint back, take his spot. And it starts to really confuse the quarterback as well. You're getting different looks. People are right off the snap running into places that are that they were not in before. It, it just screws with, with all that sort of stuff. That's why I this is again a long-winded way to, to respond. I really like versatile players. I like versatile players that can do multiple things that are smart. Um, what I saw with that kid coming out was when, when they had him deep, he got singed a few times. Um, but when they had him an off-ball linebacker, he was really good in coverage. Right. And, and I, I knew, you know, from beforehand that, you know, as far as the run, as far as toughness, as far as like, um, um, you know, tackling acumen, you know, that, that you could like trust um, he had those things going on. And so it's like with a player, like, you know, it's versatile, but then it's also like, okay, we can, we can line graph it. Like these are the situations where we don't want him in, or we don't want him in, you know, whatever. And then these other things we can, we can mix and match it like that. I, 
I like him a lot again because it's like you had safety traits, but there was the one thing he couldn't do, which was like in coverage, you deep, deep, deep. You wouldn't trust him to protect the, the back end, right? But like again, everything else, you have these different skills. Not only is that cool for him, but that allows the coaching staff to do these other cool things as far as matchups go. That was another one of those picks where I'm talking like that Mayock has made a lot in the the, the mid to late rounds um, that I really, really liked. I, th- I thought that was a clever one. You know, just as far as both the skill set there, but what it allows the coaching staff to do in the game, like real decisions in the game, uh, a guy that you can move around for matchups. So you think that it was more of a, <clears throat> I know that they, they talked about him having some issues in camp with trying to get an idea of the system. And obviously we've heard Will Compton say, you know, things about Gunther's system and how it was, he would throw different things. So you think it was more of a system thing or do you think it's more of the player? Yeah. So that's interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. I, I would say like, I would be surprised if Muse had a difficult time picking up the system because he, he absolutely was fluent in the most, probably the most complex defensive system in college. Um, and he was one of the two guys that was moving all the time. So like, you know, as, as far as responsibility and as far as, you know, just sort of picking that up, I, I would be surprised if, if, if it was a mental thing, you know, in, in, in terms of that, but what, um, you know, you do have to say in his defense is at Clemson, it was, again, it was moving into all these different spots. He played a lot of, you know, safety. He played a lot in the box. Um, I think he played a bit in the slot as well. Um, and, and they may have even sent him off the edge a bit, you know, like, you know, so like, you know, th- these different things, when, when players aren't allowed to sort of focus on one thing, that's where you can see like um, this, some of these sort of like, um, how would you say, like uh, micro level skills, you know, that are specific to the position the other guys have like pounded, pounded, pounded. Like for instance, if you watch them, either Patrick Sertan tape from, from this class or uh, Elijah Molden, those are guys that just like Antoine Winfield last year had dads that played quarterback in the NFL for 10 plus years and were studs. Each one of those kids, when you watch them, you will notice that first of all, they're always in the right position, stuff like that. But even as far as their granular movements, they so rarely waste movement right? Like making the wrong step one way or cutting, you know, whatever, like there are things where uh, physically they have the limitation, but um, you know, as far as the the mental side, it, it's not just the know-how and stuff like that. It's within the play. You can't get a half. It's not going to be their F up that gives you the half. Step. You have to earn every, every single thing. And, and so those guys were like, they had the education for like F it, birth like out of the crib that you know they were being taught and a kid like like we're talking about with muse is he has it's like uh the the joke they make about journalists where it's like uh you know everyone else working knows uh a lot about a little and journalists know a little about a lot and Mm -hmm. that's in this case that's sort of like muse where it's like you know, can do all these different things, but for very specific things, that's probably where I would assume I, you know, I I wasn't aware, but like where the frustration would come in is like, okay, now we want you doing this, but like he hadn't done it as much. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I just think like a, a player like that, you, you know, those things, if, you know, cause this was the risk factor going in, right. Even though I liked him as, as, as far as a guy that I thought should move up to, to off ball, like going forward, cause he was, he was so good in that, that role at Clemson when they, when they put him there. But like, that is, that's where the risk comes in. It's like, you know, you know, we haven't seen him there a lot. Like, you know, can he, you know, in, in, in certain, you know, situations he flashed of course and he was good overall in coverage, et cetera. Love him coming downhill, a tough kid hits hard. Um, but it's like, you know, every single thing, 
and not only has he not done the movements as much, uh, not only has he not studied as much on tape, but like in the moment, um, those things haven't become muscle memory yet, right? Because he's been playing all these other positions. He's a kid though that I, I would I would keep trying with, because um, again, like any of those guys that, that become you know even to the the low end of what you would consider like a versatile move piece in the NFL, if you can get there, the other ancillary things that it allows you to do, even outside of that player, again, it's a play, you know, a situation in plays. The, the different things it allows you to do in terms of like Swiss army knife, we're going to do these different things with other players, you know, as well. Um, the value of it, it, it's so real. Right. And and then of course, Mew's going to give you stuff on special teams as well. And right. so th- th- there's things, you know, and, and case specific things on the field. So there's things during his development where, you know, in, until we see what he becomes with that, um, could he be a low end chess PC kind of guy um, until we figure that out? Um, there's, you know, there's things he can do for you in, in the interim, but I I'm, I'm certainly pulling for the kid for sure. Yeah, I had to ask because, you know, obviously Raider Nation gets gets a little fired up about picks that, that don't play even when they're a later round pick. Um, they're very quick to to criticize on on picks. And obviously Cleveland Farrell has already been labeled a bust, even though he's been highly productive. And that's dumb, too. <laughs> even though I didn't like the pick, it's dumb to yeah. call him a bust. Right? Like, you yeah, can't call a guy a bust after after two years. I no, mean, and, and, and what you said about uh, I forgot if you said Wade Phillips said this or Buckner said this, but like the, it, it was so perfect about you know basically what you said that he said was like it, it's not Clellan's fault we took him at the fourth pick, right? Like, he's going to be a good starter like for a really long time. You know, yeah. it's just like but what you said was like if you take a guy four, you're expecting him to be Cleo Mack, and that's he was never going to be right. Right. So some of those things are it's just out of his control, but he's he's a good player, right? I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, of Pharaoh, but I really appreciate you coming on. appreciate your time. Uh, I can't wait to have you on again after the draft, talk about what went down, what transpired and I uh, hope to see you out in Vegas, man. Oh dude. I'd, I'd love it all. I'm in for both. Uh, pleasure to talk with you as always. Kenny really enjoyed it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.